0: I remember when the news broke on August 11th, 2014, that Robin Williams had committed suicide. Some of you younger people might not even remember who Robin Williams was, but I remember him well. The first time I ever saw Robin Williams, he was guest starring in this old show called Happy Days. (laughs) He played like this lovable alien named Mork from the planet Ork, and then uh, he did so well in that that they eventually gave him his own series called Mork and Mindy. I have no idea whether it was any good or not. Uh, I do know that as a, uh, a kid in elementary school, back in the day when you actually had to get to your TV set at a certain time to watch a certain show, I never ever missed it. And as I grew older, uh, Robin Williams kind of grew in popularity and significance. He, he starred in a number of uh, movies like Dead Poet Society, Mrs. Doubtfire, Good Morning Vietnam, Good Will Hunting. Robin Williams was actually the voice of the genie uh, in the original, and I think still the best version of Aladdin. It's funny though because like, if Robin Williams acted in a comedy back in the day, even if critics said, this movie is terrible, don't waste your time, I always wasted my time. Because you know, I knew that even if the movie was bad, if Robin Williams was in it, it would make me smile. And I guess what I found so hard to believe on August 11th, 2014, and I think what millions of other people found so hard to believe, was that this man, this incredibly talented, gifted man who made so many other people smile, actually had a darkness inside of himself. And and it's not just Robin Williams, right? Like if you look around the world, even in this past decade, man, how many people have we seen so incredibly gifted? On the outside, it seems like they have all the talent in the world, like all the beauty in the world, all the money that anyone could ever need, all the popularity, all the gifts, all the opportunities that anyone could ever want. And yet, they got to a point in their lives that there was so much darkness inside of them that they couldn't actually find one more reason to go on living for one more single day. And they took their own lives. Like we've been talking in this series about this Old Testament life story, a guy named Samuel who lived about 3,000 years ago, and last week I told you that the people of Israel eventually came to Samuel, they said, look, we don't want to be ruled by a judge anymore, we want a king. And Samuel doesn't think he has such a great idea, but he goes to God and God says they want a king, give, give him a king, and, and God eventually shows Samuel the man that is supposed to be the first king of Israel. And we pick up the story there in 1 Samuel chapter nine. There was a wealthy, influential man named Kish from the tribe of Benjamin. His son Saul was the most handsome man in Israel, head and shoulders taller than anyone else in the land. Saul. God said to Samuel, that's him. That's the first king of Israel. And so Samuel actually anoints Saul uh, like in front of all the people. And I was thinking about it this week, you know what? This dude, this Saul, like I'm sure that when people saw him anointed as the first king of Israel, a lot of people would have said, well obviously. I mean, come on, he's got everything you would want. He's like, he, he comes from the right family. They're super rich, super influential. He's good looking. You know, like I mean really good looking. Like you know, you know, you know, you know how you say to some good looking people, hey, just be humble, you know? There's always someone better looking than you. Not Saul. He was the best-looking guy in the whole country, like Mike Manis-level looks. I'm talking about. No. <laughs> I said that out loud, and I don't wish I wouldn't have. But, 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 um, oh, he's tall. Back in that culture, um, for some reason they thought like if you if, if he, he was like head and shoulders taller than everyone, that somehow signified that he had extra power and strength and authority. You know. And here's what's interesting. On the outside, Saul had everything anyone could ever want, but there was darkness inside of him. And it's amazing how you follow the story of Saul and what you see is you see this guy who starts out so well. like, like he, w- Triumphal beginnings, super humble, super effective, led the people super well, but in the end, his, his reign, his kingship ends in tragedy. So from triumph to tragedy, why? On the outside he had everything, why? Because inside something was dark. It's weird because if Saul was the first king of Israel, the third king of Israel was a guy named Solomon and Solomon wrote all about this phenomenon in a book that he wrote called Ecclesiastes. He said, uh, when you chase after those things, like pleasure, like popularity, like good looks, like, uh, like money and prestige, it, 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 it's meaningless. It's kind of like chasing after the wind, which is kind of an odd thing to say, chasing after the wind. You can't ever really catch the wind, can you? And I think maybe that's the point. Let me tell you something that you and Saul have in common. Let me tell you something that you and Saul have in common. Let me tell you something that you and me have in common. You are a soul. You're a deep well. Anyone who says you're shallow is wrong. You're super deep. You are a soul. You have a body, but you know this. This is self-evident, right? Like You go a lot deeper than your physique and your athleticism or even your health because you are a soul. You're a deep well. You're not shallow. I don't care what they say. You're deep. You're a deep well. You know, And you have a mind, but you're way deeper than your mind. You know that. You're deeper than your IQ or your GPA or even your ingenuity and creativity. You're deep well. You are a soul. And so was Saul. And, and deep down inside of him, even though everything on the outside looked great and promising and awesome, deep down inside of him, something was dark. And that's what Solomon meant when he said, if you chase after those things, it's kind of like chasing after the wind. Do you know what I mean? So if I think, man, if if I get enough pleasure, if I get enough money, if I get enough popularity, if I get enough good looks, if I get enough this, if I get enough that, man, it's going to save my soul. And Solomon says, it won't. It's not gonna. And if you spend your whole life chasing after it, it's like chasing after the wind. You're going to wonder, why do I run and I run and I run and I run? And all I get is tired. That's why Jesus came, by the way. I know it's a catchphrase, but can you hear it? Can you hear it in what it actually means? Jesus came to save your soul. Because nothing out here can do it. It's not just Robin Williams. It's not just celebrities that we see on the news. It's all of us, we struggle. There's a darkness inside of us, at times. And I want you to know that there's a, that, 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 this darkness inside of us. What, 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 what I guess I'm trying to say when we talk about Christmas, I'm trying to say this, that when we talk about the fact that Jesus stepped into human history, he was born in a manger, in a stable, in a little town called Bethlehem, what I mean is Jesus came to pick a fight with that darkness. I know, I know it sounds aggressive, and, I, and I, 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 I know it sounds kinda like fight, but, but, but it is a fight. Jesus came to fight on your behalf. He came to save your soul. And when when Jesus died on the cross, he he, he died on the cross to pick a fight with the darkness inside of you. The darkness in your past, that says that your pain and your regret and your shame and your sin defines you. Jesus says no. And when Jesus rose again, he did it to pick a fight with the darkness. Inside of you, the powerlessness that you feel today The fears that you have for the future, Jesus came to set that all straight. Eternal life. Eternal life. You're a deep well. And and, and Jesus cuts through all the superficiality and all the outside stuff, and he comes to save your soul. So you need Jesus. Like if you're here for the first time ever walking into a church, I need to tell you, you really need Jesus. If you're here at church for the first time in a really long time, you really need Jesus. If, 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 you, if church is your thing and this is your 743rd straight Sunday making it to church, you really need Jesus. If you're standing on the stage right now preaching about how everybody really needs Jesus, you really need to know that you, among, above everybody else, unequivocally, totally, absolutely, daily, minute by minute, are in desperate need of Jesus. But that brings me back to Saul. Listen, Saul was raised in an influential, powerful family. He's taller than everybody. He's better looking than everybody. And he, and, and he came to this point in his life where he, it, it, it became very easy for him to think, man, I, everything that I have on the outside, it's good enough. And that's where a, where, where, where a king who started out with so much triumph and promise ended up in tragedy. And I think one of the most powerful illustrations in the entire Bible, I can't wait to share this story with you, actually demonstrates that in the life of Saul. It contrasts Saul with his son, Jonathan. So let me lay the foundation for you a little bit. Uh, The Philistines are at war with the Israelites. Saul is king. And the stakes are super high. If the Philistines win, I mean, darkness is gonna descend upon the nation of Israel. Okay? So we pick up the story there. 1 Samuel 14. One day, Jonathan, son of Saul, said to the young man bearing his armor, Come, let's go over to the Philistine outpost on the other side. But he didn't tell his dad. Saul was staying on the outskirts of Gibeah under a pomegranate tree in Migron. With him were about 600 men. No one was aware that Jonathan had left. What an absolute incredible contrast in posture. What's Saul doing? Saul is sitting underneath the shade of a pomegranate tree. That's what he's doing. Why? Because he only has 600 men. And I really mean that sincerely, only. At that time of history, the Philistines, if they needed to, could have mobilized 48,000 troops. This is an issue. So Saul says, I think I'm gonna stay right here in the shade of the pomegranate tree. And it's even worse than the numerical problem. You know what the Philistines had done? Brilliant sabotage. Over the years leading up to this moment, they had slowly removed every blacksmith from the nation of Israel. You say, what does that matter? Um, This is how, no one had a sword. Two swords among the 600 people, one for Saul and one for his son, Jonathan, that's it. So what does Saul decide to do? I'm gonna stay right here in the shade of the pomegranate tree of self-interest and self-preservation. Make sense? Okay. Jonathan decides he's gonna go pick a fight instead. Jonathan decides that he's gonna go pick a fight instead. Jonathan sees the ramifications of what's about to happen and he understands the darkness that is gonna descend upon the nation of Israel and he personalizes it. Do you understand what I mean? He understands what that's gonna mean to the families of Israel, to the men of Israel, to the women of Israel, to the children of Israel. And he says, you know what? We're not going down that way. Like I'm not gonna watch this happen from the shade of a pomegranate tree. I'll tell you that right now. So he says to his armor bearer, I got an idea. Let's go pick a fight. And I really need you to hear something from me today because this is absolutely crucial. Every single person in here today, you need to make a decision where you're gonna live your life. If you're a Christian, what I mean by that is if you, if, 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 if you asked Jesus into your life, maybe it was last week you were one of the people that walked up and took communion and you said to the leader, man, this is my favorite, very first time taking communion. That's amazing. Or maybe a couple weeks ago you were one of the people who raised your hand and said, man, I want to follow Jesus. That's awesome. Or maybe you've been a Christian for 73 years. I'm telling you today, you have to make a decision. And and it's not either or. There's A or B. You will live your life in the shade of the pomegranate tree or you will pick a fight. That's it. There are no other options. You will live your life in the shade of the pomegranate tree of self-preservation and self-care and self-interest or you will step out and pick a fight. See, it's so interesting, right? Because we, we, we tend to, I tend to, we tend to make this whole concept of darkness just that, conceptual. But we have a hard time making it personal. Like we, we talk about Robin Williams, man, and and maybe if you've heard of them, you're, you, you, you're kind of sad, but I, maybe, maybe I should tell you the tragedy of the Robin Williams story isn't that it was so unique, it's that it's because it's so common. There's darkness inside of so many people, and so much hurt, and so much brokenness, and so much pain, and there's people right here in this city, right here in this room right now, wondering if there's one more reason to go on living one more day and they're hurting, and they're hurting people, and they're broken, and they're breaking people, and it's an issue, and at some point, you have to make a decision. Is darkness a concept, or is it personal? See, for me, it's personal. I know I'm an old dude, but I still remember the middle of the night, in the middle of January, in the middle of Red Deer, Alberta, you're like, you're kidding me, Mike, you bring that up again, and I will always bring that up, because I never wanna forget what that feels like. When I've tried everything out there that I can think of and nothing's working and nothing touches my soul. I never want to forget that. Because I don't want to live my life in the shade of the pomegranate tree of self-preservation. I want to go pick a fight. But it's so hard because darkness can become a concept, a theological precept. You know, we come in here today and we sing a song written by our, our, our music team. And I don't know how many times I've sung it. I like it. I like it. It's good. Brand is a good singer, and so and Lee is a good singer too. And they play the the instrumentation. Wow! Can I talk? I have no idea what I'm talking about, but I bet you it's good. And I was driving here today, and I I, I listened to this song because I knew they were going to be playing it. So I listened to it in my. In my car, and I, and I and I and I heard the words, and the words say this: When you feel you've reached the end, your steps are staggered, spirit bent. When the valley walls block out the light, and another day, and another day seems like a thousand more nights. When the noonday sun still throws a shadow, your should be joy eclipsed by sorrow. When the warmest rays won't reach your skin, darkness without darkness within. That's a concept called darkness, and it's an issue, and it's a problem. Because this rhyming little song that, that we sing at church describes the lives of people that are sitting here right now, and it's not okay. It's not okay when people suffer. It's not okay when families are shattered. It's not okay when little boys and little girls grow up in a home where it's just broken people, breaking people, here we go. Let the generations roll. I don't think that's okay. I don't think it's okay when hopelessness just rolls on and on and on and on. See, that's personal. That's more than a concept now. You understand? That's personal. And I think what can happen so often is we live, the, we live in the shade of these four walls, and next thing you know, we forget, you know? We forget the middle of the night, in the middle of January, in the middle of Red Deer Alberto, whatever your version is of that, we forget. And now it becomes a concept, or even worse, it becomes us and them. And we stay in the shade of the pomegranate tree of self-absorption and self-protection because we don't want to go pick a fight because we forgot. Yet unto us a child is born. A, sh- a shining light for all who mourn. Love is here to heal your hurt. God with us is peace on earth. I don't have another answer, I don't have another fight. talk about Christmas, you know, Emmanuel, God with us. You know, the, 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 the Gospel of John, the fourth of the New Testament Gospels, describes Christmas, describes the coming of Jesus into human history this way. It says, the light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. Can you please make that personal? That Jesus Christ, the Son of God, stepped into human history for you. And he shone his light into your darkness. And in that moment, all your sins were forgiven. Your eternity was completely and totally, absolutely secure. And I know life is a journey. And I know that there's darkness. And I know that he keeps chipping away and chipping away and chipping away and more and more and more. And then he says this, though. He says this, though. Now go let your light shine. Step out from the shade of the pomegranate tree and go pick a fight. And that's who we are. That's why we're here. People talk about the gospel, the gospel, the gospel. Gospel means good news. Emmanuel, God with us, God for us. Jesus died for you, he rose again for you. That's good news. So this is the lane that we picked a long time ago. We decided that darkness was more than conceptual, it was personal, and we were never gonna forget that. So in Jesus' name, we will preach the gospel. In, in Jesus' name, we'll pick a fight. In Jesus' name, we'll keep kicking the darkness until it bleeds daylight. That's what we'll do with everything we got. Because I know it's easy from the shade of the pomegranate tree of self-absorption to forget that there's a battle raging at all. There's a spiritual battle in this city. It's a battle of light versus darkness. You've seen it, you know this. But man, I'll tell you, it can become so easy to make it conceptual and we're always gonna bring it back and make it personal because I'm telling you, that battle, the stakes are life and death and the scope is eternal. And what hangs in the balance is men and women, and boys and girls, and families. Not gonna, <clears throat> not gonna live my life in the shade of the pomegranate tree. Mm-mm. I'm here to pick a fight. That's the DNA of us. Man, maybe, <laughs> maybe you're here for the first time. You're like, does he always yell that much? Quite often, but not always. But maybe it's useful. That's who we are. You wanna know what self is? That's it. Darkness is personal to us. It's an issue. So in Jesus' name, we'll keep preaching the gospel. In Jesus' name, we will pick a fight. In Jesus' name, we will kick the darkness until it bleeds daylight. Is it easy? No. Is it safe? (laughs) Not really, but it's good and it's right. And it's a purpose and a joy and a meaning and a fulfillment that you can never find hiding in the shade of the pomegranate tree of self-care and self-protection. So Jonathan says to his armor bearer, let's go pick a fight. Let's go over to the outpost of those uncircumcised fellows Stupid, uncircumcised fellows. Perhaps the Lord will act on our behalf. Uh, I, I, I love that because I just always make that stupid, crass joke. And then, but beyond that, I love it because think about the shield bear. How many How many swords for 600 people? two. Jonathan has one. How many does a shield bearer have? None. And so Jonathan says to his shield bearer, hey, I'm going to take my sword. Why don't you follow? Perhaps the Lord will deliver us. And he's probably thinking, hey, John, John, could you give me a little bit better than a perhaps? You have a sword. I do not. Perhaps what? Perhaps we will, like, not be made mincemeat. Perhaps we will live to see another day. Please give me a little bit more than a perhaps. And so it's like Jonathan almost senses that. So he, he goes on. He says, nothing can hinder the Lord from saving whether by many or by few. And Jonathan's basically saying, I've done the numbers, I've worked them out. I've done the analytics and the simulation. And what I found out is we're completely and totally screwed. Okay, so that's that's, that's, that's just a military assessment of what we're dealing with here, unarmed shield bearer. However, I reworked the numbers, I added God into the equation, and what I decided is, let's go pick a fight. Let's go step out on it perhaps anyways. And what I'm telling you is that's it, that's it. History is shaped on the perhaps. Redemption travels on the perhaps. Hope rises on perhaps. You know Noah? Noah said, uh, perhaps I'm gonna build an ark. Abraham said, perhaps I will leave everything familiar to me, my home and my family and my friends and set off for a far off distant country because perhaps God will do what he said. He will build a great nation out of me and my wife Sarah, even though we're super old. And perhaps redemption will be brought to every single person who ever walks on this planet because of the nation God builds out of me. Joseph said, hey, perhaps I should interpret that dream of Pharaoh. Moses said, perhaps I should go back to Egypt, you know? And I'll lead the people out of bondage and into freedom. But what if he didn't? David said, perhaps I should fight Goliath, but what if he didn't? Nehemiah said, uh, perhaps I should build a wall. There's this disciple named Peter. Jesus died and he rose again and then he ascended into heaven. And after that, the disciples were all hanging out in Jerusalem and, 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 and the book of Acts describes that the power of the Holy Spirit came into Jerusalem, you know, power and, and fire and wind, and, and this big crowd gathered and the disciples looked at Peter and said, perhaps Peter, you should say a few words. And he did. And Jesus saved. And history was altered. And the church was launched. On what? On perhaps. So easy to think conceptually. We read the Bible and go, yeah, yeah, cool. That guy did. You know, The Apostle Paul, <laughs> that's, a, you know, that's interesting because it's almost like when we read the Bible we think to ourselves, somebody walked up to the Apostle Paul and said, can I show you something? Can I call you Paul? Yeah, thanks. <laughs> <laughs> Can can you, Paula, can can, can I show you something? This is called the Bible, Paul. This is the Bible. And in the back half of the Bible, Paul, here's the New Testament, okay? And you're gonna write two-thirds of the books in it, Paul. He's like, books, what do you, I'm writing letters. Yeah, yeah, but we're just gonna get it all kind of weird, and they're gonna be called books, okay? And so, and listen, Paul, here's another thing. If you flip to the back of this New Testament, there's all these maps. Look at the top of that one. It says, Paul's missionary journeys. Paul, you just gotta follow the map and it's gonna be all good. (laughs) History, thank you. History doesn't doesn't play out that way. History plays out on a perhaps. Redemption travels on a perhaps. Hope rises on a perhaps. Paul was an evil guy. He, he he, He was a murderer. He's riding on his horse to Damascus. Jesus literally knocked him off his horse, blinded him with the light, and Jesus saved Paul. And and Paul said, you know know what I think? I think think perhaps what I should do after Jesus saved me, I think perhaps what I'm gonna do is is go around and tell everyone that I can about the fact that Jesus saves. Paul said, perhaps I'll, even, even through shipwrecks and beatings and imprisonment, perhaps I'm just gonna pick a fight with the darkness. And maybe, just maybe, God's gonna change history one life, one story, at a time. History is shaped on a perhaps. Redemption travels on perhaps. Hope rises on perhaps, and that's us. Years ago now, we just said, perhaps what we'll do is we'll just, every one of us will come together and just do what we can do, and perhaps God will show up and do what only he can do, you know? And, and, and we figured this out a long time ago too, didn't we? That it's not always the most visible roles that are the most valuable, so we just all come together and do what we can do. Just step out on it, perhaps. Like somewhere along the line, getting to this point where it becomes personal, not conceptual, you know? And we say, and we say Perha- perhaps we'll leave the shade of the pomegranate tree. Perhaps we'll go pick a fight. In Jesus' name, we will preach the gospel. And in Jesus' name, we'll pick a fight with the darkness. And you know what we've seen? We've seen eternities altered. We've seen addictions broken. We've seen sicknesses healed. We've seen marriages saved we've seen families restored we we we've seen lost people found we, we we see we've seen depressions lifted we've seen lonely people folded into community why well because just a bunch of us got together and said perhaps we should go pick a fight <laughs> i've Preached on this story before, but something hit me this time. So there's there's uh, John, you know John, John John saying to his uh, shield bearer, "Hey, let's go, let's go pick a fight with those uncircumcised fellows." And and so it's, and and you know you you get the sense like some what do they say like um, you're not really a leader if no one's following. So I can just see John like marching on and. Maybe the shield is like, no, nah, I'm good. You know, you, you go, but 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 he doesn't. And, and, and I feel like the fight that Jonathan was gonna go fight was a fight for two people, not for one. I would go, I would go as far as to say this, that it was a, it was a fight that uh, uh, two people could win in Jesus' name, but not one. And so this shield bearer, we don't even know his name. History hangs in the balance of an un armed shield bearer, and John John says, hey, come on, let's go. And you wonder, what's he he gonna do? And his one line is this. Do all that you have in mind. I'm with you, heart and soul. Let's go pick a fight. Spoiler alert, they won. You should go read it for yourself this afternoon, it's amazing. But I think it was a fight that two people could win, but not one. So I wanna ask you a question. Can we go pick a fight? Can we, can we live our lives outside of the shade of the pomegranate tree of self-protection and self-absorption? Can we go pick a fight this Christmas? Like, can, can, can we be praying together for 3K, pray for 3K, my one and only rhyme that I've ever come up with on my own, you know? But, but, but it's more than a rhyme, it's 3,000 people. 3,000 people, and, and, and you say, well, yeah, I know, but a lot of them are already Christians. They need Jesus. They need a reminder. They need to get fired up. 3,000 people. Can we pray that 3,000 people would come? Can you ask God who he would have you invite this year, who he would have you bring this year? Eight services. Man, I, I might be borderline incoherent It's preaching on the eighth. Much like today you're saying, thank you so much. Uh, I can't wait, I can't wait. So one of the things that we say around here is, man, if side is your church, we'd love it if you could serve, save one, sit one and serve one. Sit one, serve one. Now what that means is, come in here for one service and then do something to serve at another service. Uh, With eight Christmas services, I could suggest to you that there might be people asking you, would you be willing to sit one, serve two? (laughs) Sit one, serve three? Sit one, serve four? You know what I mean? Like Let's pick a fight. Let's let's pick a fight. You say, well, how do I know I should be serving at Southside? Well, it's just if Southside is your church. So if this is your second or more visit, Southside's your church, let's go. Let's go pick a fight. I want to end with this. It's a story I've, I've told you before, maybe you've heard it. What I would ask, is, as I close, as I close, maybe you could try to listen to it with new ears. There's a little museum in Nantucket Island in New England. It was devoted to a volunteer organization that was formed over 300 years ago. In those days, travel by sea was extremely dangerous, and given storms of the Atlantic and the real rocky coast of New England, many lives were lost really close to the shore, within a mile or less of the land. And a group of people who lived on that island, they couldn't stand to think about all those people going down so close to them, so they went into the life-saving business. They banded together to form what was originally called the Humane Society. They built little huts that dotted the shore containing boats and rescue equipment. They were sometimes called huts of refuge. Huts of refuge. And people were posted in those huts all the time. And their job was just to keep watching the sea and anytime a ship went down, the word would go out. They would devote everything. They would risk themselves to save every life they could. 24 hours a day, seven days a week, somebody was watching and everybody was willing. They did did it for no money. They did it for no recognition. They did it just because they valued people. And to remind them of how seriously they took this task and what was at stake, they adopted a motto. Listen to this motto. You have to go out, but you don't have to come back. It's a catchy little recruiting slogan. You have to go out. But you don't have to come back. You wouldn't think that that would entice a whole lot of people into joining them, but it did. It's fascinating to read accounts in that museum of people who risked everything, even their lives, to save other people they had never met, faces they had never seen, names they might not ever know. Over time, things changed, and after a while, the US Coast Guard started to take over this task. And for a little while, the Coast Guard and the Life Saving Society worked side by side. Eventually the idea that carried the day was, let the professionals do it. They are better trained and they get paid for it. Volunteers stopped manning the little huts. They stopped searching the coastline for sinking ships. They stopped sending out teams to rescue people. And it's a funny thing. They couldn't bring themselves to disband. And the life-saving society still exists today. It meets every once in a while in Boston or some other place in New England to have dinners. They hand out awards for things like community service. They enjoy each other's company. They sponsor programs, they get together, they are just not in the life-saving business anymore. They don't scour the coastline anymore to see if anybody is going down. They don't know the thrill anymore of what it is to risk themselves to save a life that could perish. And you know what? They don't speak those words to each other anymore. You have to go out, but you don't have to come back. They're just not in the life-saving business anymore. So yesterday um, was uh, was Christmas light set-up day for the Madness family. So we went out to, uh, to Harrison, set up some lights for Josh and Tori. And then we came back to Chilliwack, and we set some lights up first for our neighbor. We have a a neighbor whose little baby daughter Sophia is fighting cancer so we set some lights up for her and then we we got to 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 Karina, my house and we started setting up lights and I realized that I had more lights than I thought I did and so we set them all up and there's a lot of lights what I, what I kind of mean is you could probably see our house from the surface of the moon is what I'm kind of talking about and 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 when I, when I when I pulled in last night to the driveway it hit me that's you That's you. That's me. That's us. This is us. Jesus stepped into human history. John said it this way The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not, will not, cannot overcome it. So here's what I say we do let's make it personal. In Jesus' name, let's preach the gospel. In Jesus' name, let's pick a fight. In Jesus' name and by his strength, let's kick the darkness until it bleeds daylight. Why don't you stand so I can pray for us? Jesus, thank you. Thank you for hope. Thank you for strength. Thank you for life. I pray that as you have given us your extravagant love, that we would love each other well. That as as you have sent your light into our darkness, that we would shine your light to a world in desperate need and that it would never become conceptual. Please God, make it personal. And as we pick a fight with the darkness, that we would see you continue to change this city, to change history, one life, one story, one life, one story, one life, one story at a time. We pray this in your name and everybody said, amen. I love you guys. Have a great week. Hey, thanks so much for watching today. Why don't you come join us at any of our four Sunday services? We meet at Sardis Secondary School in Chilliwack, British Columbia. And for more info, you can visit southsidelife.com.